Slap Podcast. I'm Summer Phoenix. And I'm Rain Phoenix, a space for famed creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels and also an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Thank you, Summer. Yes, indeed. Make sure to follow us at Launch Left on all socials and uh, go to launchleft.com to see all these interviews live. And when I say live, I don't mean actually live. I mean recorded, previously recorded and edited. Um, but you're alive when you're watching. Yeah, so you're alive much. while watching it. That's what I mean. Thank you, Summer. Yeah. See, only a sister would know that. Um, so thank you for uh, clarifying. Today in the studio, live, we are talking <laughs> to Liz Fair. Liz Fair, I'm so glad you Who's said it. Who's British? And we didn't know I know, that. all this time. <laughs> People Wait, are so <laughs> freaked out when they hear my accent because I do such a great American it, accent. It, yeah, it's funny. Bring the mic close to you, darling. Like, oh, pull it close. It's better. You really want to hear the plumbing. Yeah, the it's plumbing. much better if you're Thank close. You. On the a mic. lot of Americans sing with British accents, but it turns out you're British, but you sing with an American accent. I'm British accent. and I sing with an American accent. I just think you gals are so cool. <laughs> Uh, um, you stateside gals you just have such a great life I just I want it for myself (laughs) I want to eat it like a sandwich pretend you're so cow if you want to since you want it so bad just like be so lasso cow Pretend you're just like a... You live at the beach, let's be clear, right? You've moved here from... Yeah, brah. You've hopped the pond already. I've hopped the pond. Yes, well, you know, it's just, it's tight over there with Brexit. Everyone in Brexit... It's like Brexit. Brexit has caused a lot of anxiety among my people. (laughs) That little tiny island is just, you know, it's boiling with unrest mm-hmm. so i came here oh yeah so where where it's peaceful land and, yes yeah you've got your political situation all taken care of and i just i feel so self safe here yeah <laughs> california girl well now i am 20 years but you're from the east Coast. i'm from the midwest see where i did my research down? the north side of chicago those little suburbs where you saw those 80 80s movies like home alone and that was, you know, breakfast clubs were the things that I had to do when I got detention in my high school. That was about breakfast club. Or Caddyshack, that was about Indian Hill Club. It was like all these movies in the 80s were made about that little area. About you and your life. It was all about me. That's why I'm here, darling. <laughs> so you went away and came back even, I heard, from Chi-Town. I Went away and came... Well, no, not really. went to school and then came back. Or yes, something. I did. I yeah. went to Ohio. I went to Oberlin College and then moved back and lived... When my son was very young, we lived in Lincoln Park. So I had a house there. And then I moved to Los Angeles. Wow, and you are a strong female voice in the music industry when there weren't that... Uh, when that was a much more difficult time for those of feminine persuasion. Amen. Yeah. So that must have been an interesting run there, those 90s, for you. It is shockingly different now, and it should be. It's been 30-plus years, but at the same time... No, no. You just said 30-plus years. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm rejuvenated here in Los Angeles (laughs) on a weekly basis. Um, No, it was just... it It was remarkably more difficult to be a woman and to feel like you had a place at the table or that anyone wanted to hear your voice. I mean, it was, 
night and day from what the music business is for me now. My experience of the music business now is connecting with all these young female artists on social media and just out in the world when I'm touring. I run into women as often as I run into men that are out doing their own thing and they all have a unique vision and they all are very comfortable asserting that vision and saying this is who I am, this is what I'm doing as an artist and that's so different because in the 90s you kind of dressed like a boy, you tried to fit in with the boys and talk like the boys about the same subjects, you might like pick up gear stuff, you know, and even if you weren't interested in it. There was a sense that you wanted to blend in with guys, and now it's not that at all. It's like female creativity unleashed. It's really beautiful. But wow. for this last 30 years, what would you attest that to mainly, do you believe? Slow, steady progress. Everybody just standing up and one after another having a voice in all areas. I think women are a slow growth uh, revolution, and it just keeps going. It's, it's a big, it's a big hurdle to overcome. There's a lot of deep-seated um, I, I, prejudice. Isn't the right word? Patriarchal Expec- systems. Well, I mean, yes, but like <laughs> in our in our daily life, it's just expectations for women versus men, and I think overcoming expectations and the way things are done or what's normal in society takes a while to like you know, make room for. We have to change perception of what a woman's life should look like. Because right now, it's still got this, like, kind of whiff of, like, if you're working, we're letting you in this weird way. This sort of sense that, like, if you want to go for a CEO job, that's being allowed. And it's really... And not only that, you also have to... uh figure out so many different things in order to rise there yourself like childcare, pregnancy breastfeeding a deal with all of the people that judge you and you know it's not only like we're letting you and let us roll out the green oh, no. <laughs> no, no. easy once you get here like, <laughs> you know yeah. a lot more it's yeah. really hard and i think a lot of times that can be the most difficult part maybe you have an ambition or an aspiration, but you don't want to wade through, I don't know what we can say on your air here, can we swear? You don't want to wade through the half a mile of shit, the Shawshank shit, to, you know, just be able to stand up to your full height Mm -hmm. and say, like, this is what I have to offer. Like, you have to kind of crawl your way through the systems that are in place that they're very hierarchical. Men do everything in a sort of vertical vertical tier. Mm -hmm. And women tend to be more like, come over here or come over here. And it's more spread out horizontally. And so like connections and working, whereas men, it's very clear. Like if I'm on top, I'm above you and you'll have to knock me off to get up there. How much do you think that is biological? You know, I I always try to think about like, you know, it's taken a while, like you said, to even talk about equality, really. And it's still not there. We still get paid less and, you know, in jobs and things like that. But but how much is like a physical thing, right? Like the in, in terms of like the old school biology factor that men are larger and bigger and, you know, can basically forcibly say we're on top, so to speak. And then also uh, and, and then the systematic way with which that was like in modern times, like there's the animal biology piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then like how to make that 
written into law and all the ways that that in, in an insidious way the patriarchal system ended up basically making the decisions for how women would be able to live their lives moving forward all of those things factored in it is really remarkable to me in the 30 years since you know and just speaking in music alone since the 90s how much has changed and I do think it has been these small micro steps by women who did take on the the uh, Shawshank of shit as you said <laughs> took it on and waded through it regardless that it's so much effort to just be able to stand in the sun they have to walk through all the shit but because of those, like one foot in front of the other, those women, you know, strong enough or, or just willing to be the odd man out, willing to be demonized, you know, we are here today. And, and throughout the ages, whether it's women or people of color or anyone who is, is below, um, you know, the status quo, right, that it seems like that's really all it takes is year after year courage within whoever is the marginalized population to just step up and step forward through the quagmire and into the, into the light. And that through that process, like change does happen. It's, it's so painful to, to feel like things need to change. Like when being faster, somebody, it's yeah. Like, oh, and going it like, oh, I hope faster. by next year, this will be equal. And it's not like that. And so it's more like never losing hope. And I think a lot of times that's what's so desperately sad and I think creates depression and all kinds of things is like you do want to see, like we all want to see things happen quickly and to not lose sight of the fact that it does work. Like, you know, and I think there's a great quote that says like, um, God, does anyone have that quote on them now? No, we're going to have to not do it. But how like the arc of time swings towards justice. Oh, the arc of time is long and it bends towards justice. Woo, see, you did have it. So great. But who is that? I think it was MLK, I want to say, but Ralph Waldo Emerson. Woo! No. I would love that. Because we were talking about that earlier. I like that. Let's just keep going. Yeah, God. Well, it's good to not forget. It's it's thorough and real and doesn't backslide as quickly. I would prefer to have slow and thorough change than quick and... um, you know, what do you call it? Brush aside You know, right. I don't want to backslide on any of this stuff. And I think, you know, there is a biological component to this. There's no denying that. But I think depending, I think there's a spectrum, obviously, among women and men as to your physical type or your aggressiveness of all types. And I think it's just like how beauty is a different, is perceived differently in different cultures because of what it means. Like some cultures prefer thin, some cultures think that like corpulence is affluence and status I think where we shift our priorities in terms of what we value from a citizen in society male or female shifts you know we don't have to go slay beasts right now you know like at least here we're still yeah yeah but we have like a great luxury of the modern age to actually live lives where we don't think we're gonna maybe get ambushed and pounced and killed or men are not currently having to fight wars on their front stoop so the culture can look toward different values and and value different people for different things and then women and men can just pursue what they're good at or what they're passionate about and some are fit for it and some are not and then voila you have change and I think we're really I think we are in a good directional flow at the moment 
Do you think despite what's going on too it goes really hard the other way like the, the, do you notice the extremes and things or like there's an issue that comes up that's uh, you know really important women's issues women's rights all of that of course like but uh, and but there's also sometimes where certain things get so slammed in one direction that it's like it's waiting to balance out. You yeah, know what I mean? A, I always think about it as like a seesaw. You know, you can't if one if one is if one end is all the way down, you can't put a bunch of people in the middle over here yeah. to level it yeah. out. It's gotta you right. gotta put it Heavy all weight. the way on the other side to right. to gain your balance. So it seems like That's the only point. natural way to go about it you know, making that, you know, finding balance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, mutual respect somewhere in the middle, I think, is like that is the thing that holds both sides. You know what I mean? And that's what brings things more cent- central. As but she's re- right. If they're on the, their asses on the ground, they're just yeah. like. Exactly. That's why. Maybe I, you do I need agree. to jump you on the bar. You have to have extremes. But sometimes I feel like it totally does that thing where it's like, no, now it's like this. And now it's like this. And really like how to balance that seesaw the swinging pendulum though right isn't it doesn't isn't it kind of like extremes are necessary in order to find the middle ground well to to a sharp a sharp shock to the system does put a pause in culture for five seconds but you know i look at i look at the gun issue and i feel like no amount of shocking is doing anything. I don't know what it would take. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what you say about that because that's not working. Sharp shocks of the system haven't made any headway there. And I, I don't understand. That is something I just do not understand. I don't know who's out there in the culture that is supporting. I don't, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. Like yeah. that, that is part of what is so hard to talk about politics right now because part of me just doesn't understand it. And I actually get all over the country. I'm one of those people that's been to all these places. I've been to every state. I've seen like different cities in every single state and been in all the airports. And like, I do feel like I get a sense of the different parts of America, but I think that that is like at the heart of this sort of American dream and personal freedom that people are feeling is being taken away from them if you talk about their rights and their to bear arms. They can bear arms without having assault weapons in the hands of everyday citizens. Preaching to the choir girl. If you're in a rural area and you don't have any neighbors and you don't feel safe alone, which I might not, I would want a gun. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I need an AR-17 or whatever they are that like, Mm -hmm. that anniversary of the Vegas shooting, like it's just appalling. It's appalling that we have two years on done nothing. There's just nothing will do anything until dirty money is out of Washington probably incrementally so small talking about like putting one foot in front of the other and these like slow slow progress tortoise winning the race thorough there's like small things happening for even gun control right i feel like walmart just announced that they're not going to carry the assault weapons like that's a huge house he does that lilting thing let's do a lyric to a song but talk about this it's really good it's like a melody it's beautiful right thank you for sharing that with us
lilting with lilting. summer on launch left. <laughs> exactly. It's a whole new <laughs> segment. Yeah, whole it's new a new segment. segment. I'm going to cut together all of the times you were like doing this when you answered the... I'm going to do a special edit. The first It'll be one. for your Especially birthday. for Liz. It'll be for your uh, birthday. I brought, I brought that out especially for Miss Fair. I know Have just the person to edit. We'll do it to one of Liz's songs if she'll <laughs> let us. It'll be great. <laughs> hey, so I'm going to ask you music questions okay. from our resident... Um, music expert. Launch left music expert and staffer Chris Tucci, who has great taste in music and um, always great questions. He asked Bat for Lashes a few questions as well. So we're going to give his questions a go here today. Okay. Maybe we'll just do one if you're like, I'm done. I don't want to answer anymore. One and done. One and done. Are these hard hitting? Here we go. <laughs> now that we're living in an age, I'm just going to hold my iPhone up for all to see. Now that we're living in an age where anyone can produce, distribute, and promote their own music, is it still worth it for emerging artists to pursue a record contract? Nice question. It is an excellent question and very timely because it is right in that, at least I perceive it to be, a complete sort of choice now. Do you want to do that because they have distribution and they can push it really far and they have the ability to take a good thing and make it great and vast? Or do you not want to have a contract with a label that arguably could give you like a short shot, like a, you know, a month or six months, and then if they decide not so much, you, you know, languish in sort of the back of their shelves with no way to get out of your contract, you know, necessarily, kind of tied up legally. So, and everybody's doing the Patreon stuff. Like, there's a lot of different ways. And I think, again, it's totally personal now, whereas before, in the 90s, you had to have a label. You weren't going to do anything without a label. And it was, they, they knew it, and they had a good hold over you. You know, the terms, especially after Napster happened and everyone could get music for free and the whole industry was changing, they were trying to lock artists up into 360 deals. So like anything you did would be, you know, through the label. Like so any merch, any live performances, anything you could possibly do as an artist would come through them and they would like benefit from that revenue stream and they would have a certain amount of control over it. So like I currently don't have a label and am trying to see how far I can go without a label to try to be my own entrepreneur. But at the same time, I would hope if I get some juice going on this next record and we need more help, that that would be an option. So I think they still perform a very vital function. Nobody has the reach and ability to do the kind of things they do do. But I don't think it should be the kind of thing that you desperately beg for a contract and sign anything and sign it all away because you just don't need to. And they're not a magic bullet. They can't make success just happen. Thank you. Great. Match the question. Yes. Well said. Let's see what else Mr. Tucci has here. I feel like I'm going to earn one of those T-shirts. Well, you will. This is a game show. You're doing great. (laughs) Okay. Question two. When you were a young 22-year-old looking to make your mark in the industry, how does that influence your writing? How does that energy responsible for the creative production change with age and experience? Wow, you were a young 22, huh? Not just a regular 22? Good to know. <laughs> a young 22. I would I would say that is accurate. I'm very immature in a lot of ways. So <laughs> still holding on to that. Um, yeah, I think nowadays... 
a 22-year-old has so much more information than we had. The internet did not exist when I was 22. It was not, like record stores were a place that you had to go to be part of the scene. The clubs were a place you had to physically go to actually be part of this world. And most mainstream people didn't even know about indie music. So it really did feel like a separate sub-nation of cool people doing mysterious cool things that mainstreamies don't know about. You know, like it felt like a cachet to be part of this stuff. And now you can be an entrepreneur at 16 and be like, you know, getting your logo and your web design, you know, your site up and everything. Like you have so much more ability to, to be the um, creator of your own success that I think sometimes it can also be overwhelming. You know, I got nurtured at 22, even though I hated half those people, I was part of a scene. So like you would go to the bar and like get in fights with people, but you knew you were part of a scene. And so I got to be kind of nurtured in a musical bubble for a while. And I wonder, does that happen anymore? Like, or kids just have to go pro at 22 or you're over. You know what I mean? Like, do you get to be safe for a while to experiment and make mistakes before you present yourself mm. nationally. What were some Great of those um, underground places that you are re- you're referencing? Oh, God. In Wicker Park, uh, Rainbow Club was a place I went to a lot. Metro was a place we went to. Um, Lounge Axe was sort of the CBGBs of Chicago. And there was a ton of bars, too, like the After Hours Bar. I'm trying to think of all the names of them. And once you started touring and stuff in New York, Oh, they New hated York, me. LA. They hated me so much. Like, the minute I sort of reached for success, yeah. that scene felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'd come from the suburbs, done a little bit of time, you know, in the city, and then just fucked off with my, like, high-profile career. Mm-hmm. But really, I had no idea that I anyone outside the neighborhood would ever hear this record. I thought I was impressing like the Urge Overkill boys or the Material Issue guys. Like I wanted to be, I had a very specific ambition to be cool in my neighborhood. And so that's a very different thing than suddenly doing national camp, like photo shoots and being all over the publications dressed in like no clothes because they they heard the dirty songs that I put on my first album and they were like, yeah, she likes sex, you know. (laughs) So you get that. Never mind that it's like two of 18 songs and I have a lot of other topics. Two of 18 songs. It still happens. You know, people are like, yeah, she likes sex, you know, and (laughs) that feels so diminishing because yes, I do. I also like all these other things. I am an actual spherical human being with a ton of interests and that is one part of it, Mm -hmm. you know, so... You're not one-dimensional. Uh, well, that's like yeah. I think sometimes it's but just for easy. branding, yeah, national exactly. branding. Yeah. Oh, she likes sex. Well, yeah. and it's again, very how first subject. How long did you ride that sort of train, or rather, were pushed along those tracks before you started to feel like, fuck, that this is out of my control, and maybe not exactly who I am that I'm you know putting out there or there's a great story in my book um in Soto Voce which is about being on one of these after my biggest hit Why Can't I was really big 
that year, and we had to go around to all the radio stations to sort of thank them for playing me and be part of their holiday extravaganzas. Mm -hmm. And I got deathly ill, like so sick. I lost my voice. I lost consciousness practically when I was doing the Rockefeller Center tree lighting ceremony, like on live air, I just forgot where I was in the song and just stared at the camera like blank faced for about, and I had 104 fever and my hair had been put in these little Shirley Temple curls. I just was miserable and sick. And then we went to a Chicago radio festival for, I think it was Q1, I can't remember if it was Q101, but it was a big station and they'd played me a lot. And I had no voice, zero voice at that point. I had laryngitis like this. There was no tone, no note. And my management was like, you got to do it. And I'm like, how am I supposed to sing Winter Wonderland when I have to write my words on a piece of paper? He's like, you got to do it. And so luckily, Jason Mraz was on that show. And he came out and sang Winter Wonderland with me. And nobody cared. It didn't matter that I had no voice and no tone. And I just felt like that was it. That was a turning point for me. And I just thought, I will never suck up to like, you know, mainstream success this way. It's like, it's like it jumped the shark for me in that moment because I realized I was just like a warm body that had the label Liz Fair slapped on her and like, just get her out on stage, you know, like, and you've done your thing and like, yay. And it did, like, it didn't matter how good I was or how bad I was or how awful this circumstance was. Just the show must go on. And that's when I kind of lost the interest Mm. If being big means you're indiscriminately, I mean, there's clearly people with great vocal skills that I am not one of those people. But my trajectory led me into a real dead end place, and I just wasn't willing to do that anymore. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, it's basically almost. It's like depressing. False, <laughs> the being false is like, wait, huh? Everyone's okay with this all not being true. Everyone's okay. Yes, everyone's okay with this not being true. Yeah. Me too. I had been like, what is over that tall fence? What is this great, like, nirvana land where everyone seems to have such wonderful experiences? Oh, you mean the plateau that you climb up here and everything is great? (laughs) Right. I keep trying to find it, but it keeps moving. I don't know where they're putting that. Yeah. You've got to go back down. Go back bottom. down. Back oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Over there. Let's talk yeah, yeah. about your book. Your book. Oh, your yeah. Book. Talk yes. about you. Yes. You wrote a book. I wrote horror stories. I wrote the Whoa. first half of my two-part memoir, and the first book is about the dark stories. Like the, you know, I sort of saw it as a yin-yang type memoir. There's the dark, watery, uh, you know, internal life stuff that I wrote this first book about with beautiful center of like hope and wisdom and growth and then the next book will be fairy tales about like all the big showy splashy things that had a center of dark false uh wicked stuff in it what was the um positive center for all the 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 dark stories each one has a different positive center. Uh-huh. Sotto voce would have been like basically my emancipation from this whole pop tour that I was doing, this kind of realization and awakening that it mattered to me more the artist that I was than the perception of 
the success that I could have. And I chose that. I chose myself over an image. Joy. Yeah, we do high fives here. Definitely. That was really a profound statement. Um, besides for Mr. Mr. Chris Tucci's questions, we also have three other questions that we always like to ask. Oh, that we do. I'm so glad you remembered. It's like the I don't remember questionnaire. The I just remember that I was supposed to say that. Say some. Say some. Like, oh, we have three questions. <laughs> the first question. Oh, yeah. The first question is, and this is really actually very difficult. Very difficult. But it's. Uh, oh no, actually changes. This. This is that. Um, how did music find you? How did you find music? How was, how did it come up through you? Right, this isn't really the question. The question I mean, is like, what are favorite. your, what are your we influences? Every but time. Like, yeah. It's like a secret fourth question. It we is. always it's put true. it. True. I like better than influences because there's so many influences. Well, that was the difficult question. Yeah. I have a cute little story of being a young girl whose mother wanted her to play piano. So I took my little lessons, but I was not interested in reading music. It just, I didn't want to learn to do that. It kind of bored me. So I would go over to our next door neighbor who taught piano and I would ask her to play whatever piece I was supposed to learn a couple of times. And I would memorize it by ear. And then I'd go home and instead of practicing the piece, I'd make up my own songs. And this carried over and she, you know, she told my mother, she's like, I think she's, actually tricking me trying to get me to play them so she can learn them by ear but that means she has a very good ear yeah. you know and then when I took guitar lessons after that again I wasn't interested in playing James Taylor or whatever sort of so my teacher Mrs. Gold sorry I love James Taylor I love James Taylor I just I didn't want to play folk music and my my guitar teacher Mrs. Gold really launched my career because she said I'll tell you what Elizabeth if you bring in two original songs every week I won't tell your mother and so that's how I started writing my own songs what a cool music teacher she was awesome Mrs. Gold wow. in Evanston basically so that's how music found you and how old were you at that at that time like when guitar you would have been eighth grade piano would probably have been fourth grade nine you were eight and I was seven no so you were nine <laughs> and something else yeah right yeah right on. um any siblings or musicality in your DNA adopted so don't know fascinating once upon a time heard that Joni Mitchell was looking for a daughter that she'd put up for adoption and <laughs> quickly tried to Cinderella my way in or you know like you know it's like what the show fat you know like, <laughs> no she's not my mom um yet yet <laughs> that we know of <laughs> yeah still working on the paperwork I was really one. digging that origin story I was like this is gonna be epic <laughs> this is where I get into that plateau you know the plateau will like move to me you know That's didn't awesome. happen um, okay. So no, no, I mean, they are music appreciators. No one else is musical. What are your 800 other influences since we won't bug you and say pick Everything. two? Everything. We usually I'm the try worst. To pick two. I'm the worst list maker. Sometimes I pass off lists to my bandmates because I know they have good taste and I will veto anything that's bad, but right. I do not list hierarchical things in my life. I don't have like things that I would take on a desert island. I do not rank according to... Right. 
here. You're like, doing a horizontal thing. I am yeah. totally, I'm all Bring in on up. the horizontal. Yeah. I'm totally. See, we knew you were into sex. I'm, no, I'm <laughs> yes, just I'm relax. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, that Still means you like every, all kinds of genres and all kinds of music. genres, all kinds of from highbrow to lowbrow to a jingle to just the sound of my curtains blowing in the breeze and the ocean waves crashing. Like I really do get into soundscapes, mm. and as I did television composing for a while, I was really into soundscapes, and this new record has a lot of interesting sound unexpected musical mashups that make for an interesting mix. I, it, 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 I, I go for eargasms. So right. like my ears are kind of sophisticated at this point. Just my ears are kind of sophisticated. <laughs> so I need a little bit more to get me off than you guys might. But like I really like complexity now. So I'm really into like how far can I take complexity while still giving you a hook? And so you don't even know you've just been hit with something super complex. Fun. That's my game. Okay. Great. What are some of the other questions? We got Question two more. number two is... Um, As if we literally number yeah. them. I know. We, sometimes like, are we you just, making this up right like, now? No, like, sometimes like, we throw them. number two. It's not always number two. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes um, it's number one. Or sometimes it doesn't even get asked. No, it gets asked. It always gets asked. Go ahead. I want to be asked all three since I was offered all three. What do you champion in this wide world of many things amok and and yet so much joy and elation? What is it that you uh, believe in or feel that you want to give your time to in an activism sense um, as an artist? What activates your art? Yeah. Well, I'm... This... I'll give you the pat and the real answer. The pat answer is also true in that I'm very invested and inspired by the young female artists that I see coming up right now. Like I connect with them all on social media and that's a real thing for me. That's not just like I connect with them on social media. I mean like it gets me up in the morning, makes me want to go to work and makes me want to make new music and makes me want to go out on the road because I know they're out there. And so I sort of offer them that sort of godmother anointing of like you're awesome and you're awesome and you're awesome and they all go like DM thank and you DM and DM. yeah no like it's just seriously it feels like the world I wished existed in the 90s is happening now and I want to be a part of it so it's kind of like That's at my ripe old age I'm like yeah let's hit the road let's go I out saw there. you champion snail mail is that right yeah okay. she's yeah, yeah Lindsay's amazing yeah. yeah it's just it's we feel so much kinship with each other there are still less women out there, even though it feels to me like a whole new world. And everybody's, it's like Lilith Fair. Everyone's cool to each other. Mm-hmm. They're not sniping at each other. And they're not undercutting each other like we had to in the 90s because they literally scripted it in to radio, hard baked in. You could not have two female artists back to back. And you could not play more than like one or two artists in an hour that were female. Wow. And so literally we were pitted against each other in the 90s. Mm-hmm. If if there was room for you, there wasn't going to be room for me. Mm-hmm. And that was scripted, hard-baked into the programming. They did not think people wanted to hear from women, except wow. like every once in a while. Which just proliferated lady hate, you know, yeah, women not did. championing each other. because There do was think, a reason for yeah. why we were sniping Turned into at each other. Competition versus collaboration. It's like a good yeah. old jello wrestle they wanted to see us you well, know that does sound great though <laughs> yeah especially to <laughs> someone who loves sex like liz and eat it and talk like that's what would happen <laughs> just be like i like the green jello <laughs> 
Wow, that's thank you for that. that was- and then the the other answer I was yeah. going to yeah. say, like, um, I think this is still relevant. One of the things I champion is the idea that people are more musical than they allow themselves to be, and that music came from a communal spirit that we would all do in a family. We had to make our own music in a house. Mm-hmm with old people and young people and all sorts of talent levels. Or we made it, you know, going back even to ancient times, it would have been something that a tribe or a village would, like, gather together and celebrate and sing. Drum circle. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. Like, this was something, music belonged to everybody. And now it belongs to the, you know, elite and whoever was chosen to be very, very special on The Voice or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. and I, I find that to be just against my religion like music is for everyone and we should all be making it together and it doesn't matter whether you sing well or poorly it's nice to hear you can have both but it should belong to everyone do you feel that now in this particular i'm signing up for your religion okay good (laughs) you're on the congas (laughs) rhythm (laughs) Rhythm section yes always wanted to be percussion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in this climate though with with the availability of all the platforms that people can put their music up and can um in some ways do you think more people are choosing you know that it's not like they have to get a label to sign off on them to put their music up um so it does seem like more people are making music um but i i'm also someone who believes really strongly in curating curation or you know the ability to actually you know, it's so much that it's overwhelming, the amount of music that's out there. And I agree with you in a in a global sense that we're all musical. And if you think about where we came from, we all, you know, danced and sang and beat skins around a fire, you know, from time in memoriam, right? So I agree that everyone should, like, cultivate their inner musician, whether they go pro or not pro. Um and that the, and that every, there should be an equal opportunity. I believe yeah. that too. But I also believe like there is, you know, that you got to be good. Well, I'm kind of like can you. You can do it, but and you can put it out. But it doesn't necessarily mean that every that every single person is someone that is going to touch it millions of people. It doesn't need to be on stage. Yeah, right. What I'm talking about <laughs> like, music and do it in the club. I'm just saying no, like music <laughs> in the home, like music yeah. for everyone. I agree. Everyone should be playing music when they're young and singing and dancing and doing all that stuff. Yeah. And then the people that are exceptional at it or whatever, you know, then they get on stage and you pay for that. Right. I'm not saying that. Like, Right. My mom and dad can get on stage, and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. But I just think that 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 is getting lost because there's a lot of people that make money being the gatekeepers, and yeah, I agree. With I'm that. against that. Yeah, and I think too often it's the, you know, really there are some really great musicians that hide out doing music. They don't even try like often it's like the virtuoso that they're not they're just doing it to make they they have to right the marginalized artists often just keep producing creatively and knowing that no gatekeeper will ever let them in so they're just like but i'm still gonna keep so that's kind of what we're trying to do here is find those kind of artists and say like hey you are worthy to be seen you know what I mean? Because oftentimes it's the people who are like, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me. Yeah. That not necessarily, in yeah. my mind, always, you know, I think everyone recognizes exceptional musicianship and talent and songwriting. When it's when a good song is a good song, it's a good song. It doesn't matter who came up with it. It doesn't matter your age, 
color, size, what language, anything. It's a good song. And that is what I'm always interested in is like, who is, who's making good songs, right? Like who's actually doing a great job at crafting songs and then, and producing them. And, oh, and that's so exciting. You, you do? You today. Yeah. Oh my God. And that brings us to our final question. That's right, sissy. She's really getting so on it. <laughs> well, you did well, she's it. got the bongo oh, job she- now. So <laughs> now she's like a cut above you. you I know. Giving you your, I think you're a harp. Do you feel yeah, Joanna yeah. Newsomey? Because then you could sort of stop and talk about what oh you're my doing. God, and then that you would be great. We're like her disciples, dude. She's I giving know. us like jobs as her disciples I know, I in love her it. religion. I love it. Um, I love it. Harvin Bunkos. I love it. Right between us. Just right between us. We should have a heart. that deserves a stage. Jack White hasn't done that yet, so. Yet. Yet. Again, yet. Um, so our, our, our final question, our third, well, maybe not our final, but definitely our third question (laughs) is, um, who did you bring us today, uh, to shine? Who are you shining a light on? Who are you launching? Who are you listening to that you think that everybody should open their ears for gasms? Your yeah. gasms. Some gasms. Yeah, I don't know. I think we need to give some eargasms yeah. to the world. And I have the son of a friend of mine who was my, the friend of mine. Um, he was my composing partner when I was doing television scoring. And his son was one of those kids that you just knew was going to be a rock and roller. You just knew. Like they were like four and they were hyper and just like kind of their hair was messed <laughs> up and like the, and ex- the like, Dad, why can't I play the drums right now? I don't want to go study. You know, that kid, and you're like, I want to be seeing you later. Um, So I just, you just knew he was that kid. And then when he wanted to do a recital, his name is Asher Dower. And he's currently in Israel, still in school. And he, (laughs) really, when I sat up and took notice, is when he learned for his musical recital, um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And he played the whole thing on piano with his band, all these kids, you know, one music teacher and then kids playing the whole Bohemian Rhapsody perfectly, like this awesome and not like trained monkey perfectly. Like it was awesome. And you're just like, oh, well, here he is. He's arrived. But bless you. God bless Liz you. Fair, You're bless feeling you. threatened by him already. You're like, yeah, kid's I'm too like, talented. I don't want to know who this is. I just learned how to play <laughs> harp. <laughs> you know, sneezing on stage and coughing on stage is one of the worst things that can happen, and I feel your pain yeah. utterly and permanently. Luckily, we're not on stage, and we can hack Where's into the stage? stage. Where's the stage? Where Where's is the it? Stage? Hello, Cleveland. Um, <laughs> No, I'm not threatened by any time an artist gets championed, like, you know, uh, to me, an, an angel gets their wings because I That's think what it's, it feels like. Because yeah. now he's writing his own songs and he's older and he's actually mellowed. And this song that you're going to hear is so cool. And I just sat there listening to it thinking, like, this is the purest version. And no doubt his father filled him with good music growing up. There's no question he was, you know, he was exposed to excellent taste vis-a-vis his father but the charm and purity and mastery of this song blows me away and it was so good that his dad was like will you sing on one of the songs and I sang on a different one and I left his like big massive hit which you guys are going to hear um 
for someone his own age who can like you know join in that fun I didn't want to just be like oh nah, put my thumb on that like Liz Fair saw that one I'm kind of worried that other musicians, because his dad knows a lot of professional musicians, are hearing that song going like, I'm going to put my thumb on that. Because everyone wants to get on that song, but it's still currently open, and I think it should be a kid his own age. Hi, I'm Liz Fair, and the artist I would like to launch today is Asher Dower, and here's his song, Plans.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. Everybody, 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 everybody.